You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Your program is your ticket. We about to kick it. Curtain up, theater people. And welcome to your program is your ticket. Coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of My Husband and My Play at The Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guests are the playwright and director team of 59E59 Theater's current production of The Briefly Dead, playwright Stephen Kaliski and director Elizabeth Osler. Now, I'll be bringing them on in a few minutes, but before I do, I'd like to take a moment to give you a little history of 59E59 Theater's. By the way, this is one of my favorite um, off-Broadway theaters here. It's just, it's, it's, it's such a great complex, and it's, it's wonderful. Anyways, um... 59E59 Theaters is a theater complex located in New York City, USA, that shows both off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway plays. 59E59 presents the New York productions of not-for-profit companies from across the United States and around the world. Um, Their mission statement, and this is from their uh, website, 59E59 Theaters is committed to bringing innovative, invigorating, never-before-seen work to New York audiences. Uh, 59E59 Theaters provides a space for emerging and established not-for-profit theater companies to reach new audiences. Uh, We partner with these companies by giving them a highly subsidized rental rate, as well as production, marketing, and press support. They also get to keep 100% of the box office net sales. How cool is that? That's amazing. Um, And it it consists of three theater spaces or stages, and we're in one right now, and it's, it's a great space. Love it. It is owned by... And it is owned and operated by Elizabeth Kleinhans. Now, I made sure to, to correct, to uh, check for the pronunciation of that. So that's, that's how you pronounce her name. It's great. Theatrical Foundation. And, an, and it's a not-for-profit foundation that is dedicated to bringing innovative and experimental work to the underserved east side of Manhattan. And that's so true. There's not a lot of Broadway, off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway theaters on the east side of Manhattan. It's funny. It's, they're all like either down in the village or they're on the west side, so it's really cool that it's here. Um, The theater opened in 2004 with the primary stages production of the Stendhal Syndrome. 
Um, and it also has hosts two annual festivals. Um, the first is Brits Off Broadway, which brings new work from British playwrights to New York. And just a little sidebar, um, my writing pal, John Britton's Olivier Award-winning play, Rotterdam, had a majorly successful production in this year's Brits Off-Broadway. He's a really, really cool guy. Met him at the Dublin International Gay Theatre Festival, and Rotterdam is an awesome play, and currently playing in L.A. right now. I just read on Facebook, so good job, John. Um, now, it, they also feature a festival called East to Edinburgh, and it's a preview of new plays going to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe uh, from North America. Now, Edinburgh Fringe is like the... It's, it's huge. It's like the fringe of all of the fringes. It's the king of the fringes. It's, it's, it's where a lot of people uh, strive to go and take their projects. So, excellent job. Now, a couple of other really cool notes. They got their name from their address. Their address is 59 East 59th Street. So, I love that. I think that's, that's great. And such, I don't know, something about, something about that is just like really shrewd marketing. And I think that that's super cool. Um, and also, in 2008, they won a well-deserved Drama Desk Award for Excellence in Theater. How cool is that? That's amazing. I just, it's, 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 it's great. And uh, again, I love this theater. I support it like a million percent. It's just, it's, it's an awesome theater. And everyone is super nice here, too. I've, I've always had, like, nice experiences with the staff here. And that's super important. Box office, uh, uh, concessions, all of that, that's the first impression that you have. And I say, I think that that's... That should be there. So, now, speaking of excellence, it's time to bring on two of their most current accomplished artists. Folks, please welcome to the show playwright of The Briefly Dead, Stephen Kaliski, and director of its current production at 59E59 Theaters, Elizabeth Osler. Hi, Stephen and Elizabeth, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Um, I just saw the show, and I absolutely loved it. It's got so many great themes, um, and uh, well, I'm going to let you talk about it. And then I had one like, like, epiphany thought. Oh, about, I'm excited. About two thirds of the way through. So, why don't you tell our audience about the Briefly Dead? We'll start with the play itself, and then we'll go to the current production. Sure. Uh, the Briefly Dead is uh, uh, something of a sequel to a, a Greek tragedy, um, one of Euripides' lesser-known plays, Alcestis. Uh, so. You know, we started off with this play and, and sort of a, in a self-deprecating way thought, well, this is a really a marketable strategy. Let's do a sequel to a play nobody's ever seen before. <laughs> uh, and, and yet here we are. So um, well, Liz and I started working on this in almost a devised fashion when we were in grad school together at Brooklyn College uh, several years ago. Wow. This is 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been working on a class assignment at that point, which was how to, as a director, because that's primarily what I do too, in addition to the writing, um, how to stage a play that scared us. Um, and I had chosen Euripides' Alcestis because what scared me about it was When it ended, it felt like it was just getting started. Uh, You have this entire beautiful, um, evocative Greek world in which a a king loses his wife. And the whole story is really a a lesson in grief. And um, one of the translations of it by Ann Carson is actually called Grief Lessons. Uh, And... And yet, it's a problem play, like one of, you know, Shakespeare's problem plays, a measure for measure, one of those, where... At the very end, out of nowhere, Alcestis comes back from the dead. Heracles saves her. And everything we thought we'd learned about grief has suddenly been stricken from the record. 
and and you read the lines from the chorus at the end, and sort of like in our play, there there are these kind of blank, uh, all is well with the world. Let us rejoice. You know, depending on the translation, something like that. And we're like, how do I how do I feel when I when I read this uh, or see this stage? So my my challenge to myself and and, and Liz, you know, started participating very soon in the process. Uh, was what happens the next morning, you know, if Alcestis is back, you know, what is the aftermath of a miracle like? Uh, and I thought there were so many interesting questions we could ask about that. Uh, and, you know, we, you know, when in my writing, and I think the aesthetic of our, our theater company is, you know, very quirky worlds and um, playing with contemporary structures, but twisting them a little bit. Um, so we wanted to not make this, you know, a toga, you know, tragedy, anything like that, nothing too arch or inaccessible we wanted it to feel like a contemporary world where people you know watched movies like airplane and had cereal for breakfast and uh i love the airplane <laughs> i love I, I love that movie so yes, I'm, yes. I'm sitting in the the corner of the audience laughing to my it's, so it's great. your listeners are now trying to imagine a greek tragedy in which airplane is, is, is involved somehow but uh we wanted to see you know with those contemporary structures where this story would go and that's kind of how it blossomed um, it's been through a lot of iterations a lot of development uh, but I think I think we've we've continued a, a uh, saga um, thousands of years in the making wow <laughs> <laughs> to make it to make it seem very uh, grandiose yeah. yeah terrific Liz talk about the current production and and what what you how you how you built it and put it together yeah as Steve said we've been on this project together for a while and um last year the end of last the beginning of last year sometime we he reached out and said hey i think we want to apply to the new york fringe festival uh-huh. and remember that play we kind of worked on right after grad school i think i want to resurrect it and see if we can do it and so um he brought me in and it was great to be part of something and so we we put on a production in the New York Fringe Festival. Oh, you were in Fringe last year? We were. Oh, cool. Under the, the t- um, title of the play then was Memoriam. Okay, I remember, because our play at the Flash was in Fringe as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so, um, cool. And as you know, Fringe has its limitations with production and, and what you can do, and you can't really be at home in a space. It's like 15 minutes in, 15 minutes oh, out. Oh, yeah, very, very tight scheduling. Yeah. yeah, and so we wanted to, and we were like, we're not done with this. There's so much more we want to say here in this play, and we want to have it more fully realized. And so Steve um, had already had an established relationship here with 59E59. Cool. And exact, everything that you said at the beginning is true about them. They are lovely to oh, work yeah. with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they came and saw it and agreed. And so we've been working to build it since um, last year of how. And so Steve took it. And did some major rewriting, get clearer about the story, getting clearer about the themes. Um, and then, um, and because it's a new work, then it's just been constantly in development oh, since sure. even three hours ago. Uh, yeah, I saw you over in the corner taking notes. Yeah. Uh, been there, done that for sure. <laughs> that's, <Yeah. laughs> that's, that's terrific. Now, um, I, I thought the show was so interesting and the theme that really stuck out to me was the balance of life and death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's one of the big themes in the show. 
And about two, this is my epiphany I, I had, about two-thirds of the way through the show, I thought, I was reminded of, you know, we all have people and beings in our life that have died, and I, I as well, and I thought, I've, I've had dreams where the people who have died have come back in the dream, and it's never exactly the same. There's always some weirdness or insufficiency to the memory. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that's really, uh, I mean, it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Has that, is that something that you've explored or is, is that a new thought that you've heard or a new reaction? I love that reaction. Oh, yeah, well, I think that's that, that, yeah, I, yeah, it is new. I think, I think you're picking up on an idea that in one form or another, I was certainly in tune with as well. Whether or not it's looking at it through death or even through something lower stakes than that, like moving to New York and uh, for, from a small town in the South and going through a life change there. Uh, it's the sense of through every passage, there's really no going back. And, you know, are we ever exactly who we used to be? You know, and I think the, the involving death in that creates a sort of imaginary world where you know, the stakes are really high, you know, and, and we've all fantasized, we've all lost people and fantasized what it would be like to bring them back, as, as you're saying. And, um, and the truth is, you know, that it wouldn't be the same. There's, there's no real stepping in the same river twice, as, uh, as Heracles says in our production. So Yeah, and I I'd lost my sister in the spring of last year, so oh. a couple months before I started directing the Fringe production of this. And so that was really that was really weighing sure. on me, and I and and I and some of those same thoughts have definitely carried through, and and particularly I think where we see a lot of that manifesting in this production is a more realization of the relationship between the two sisters mm -hmm. in the play. Um, I think that was really important to me. Um, yeah, in fact, I'm wearing my sister's sweater right now. Um, and so I, yeah, that, so I think, I think there is something about us being brave enough to sit in loss mm -hmm. and sit in what that has done to our lives. Sure. And to, and to honor that and to, um, and so, ha and I think that is part of, of mortality is figuring out once we've had a significant loss like that of how to, how to be in the world without them. Right. And how to, but at the same time, know that they're in us. And so, and, and how to do that. There's so much questioning. Yeah. You know, and just within uh, that whole system of how we grieve. And I think that uh, you, your production has really mined a lot of the components. I know that my, my feeling is probably just one of many. Um, how are the other audience members reacting to the show? Are they coming up to you with um, thoughts and feelings and comments on, on the themes? Yeah, I think, and this is a carryover from last year, I think it's, it's enough of a pastiche of a play in the sense <laughs> that um, there are a lot of different styles and, and different thematic inquiries into it. You know, it's about a lot, and, mm -hmm. and, um, and there is a deliberate sense of, creating a mess about that in a way, you know, that this sure. is not a, this is not a singularly focused show. This is something that is exploring a lot of different 
aspects of this imaginary circumstance. So what I found is people having very personal reactions to it. That, that how one like one person might gravitate towards the, the 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 grief and the sense of loss, and another person might gravitate toward the uh, political overtures in it. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody else might think about um, the, the relationships, marriage, marriage yeah. yeah, yeah, and just what it's like to have a, a failed romance or, or, or a romance that has, that has taken a turn and somebody in the relationship is trying to bring it back to step one, you know, when it was, yeah. when it was all hunky-dory, you know, the sense of a honeymoon being over. Um, so I'm hopeful, and I think we've been getting that feedback that yeah. people are reacting personally and individually yeah. to it. I think so, too. And, I, and um, themes of... Because there is a, a feminist... This, in many ways, is a feminist play, um, as oh, we, yeah. yeah, as we see a woman who, at one point of the play, is told who she is, mm-hmm. and then when she gets her voice, what does that sound like? Right. And and you know we have a moment where we literally see her on a pedestal, and uh-huh. and how that affects her, and and all of those things. And so I think those themes are resonating with people as well. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, I'm going to share one like other thought that I had, yeah. and this is about the structure of the play, mm-hmm. and it's going to be, it might feel so far-flung and one of the <laughs> oddest things you've ever heard, but it kind of reminded me in the way that you wrote it, and that, like almost like writers are editors, you know, you're editing your stuff together, and you're trying to do it in a, in a really cool way. It's not anything like this movie, but it reminded me a lot of the editing that I saw in Pulp Fiction. Oh. Isn't that isn't that what yeah. that's what I thought and I thought because I love the editing in that movie. Yeah. Where I, yes. I didn't think about it, but yes, keep going. You're well you're it's like, okay, they're here now, but that's not where they actually end up. And but it's hope for the future and different I mean, I was I was constantly going, have, having to not having to, but I was constantly going, okay, they're here at this point. And then having to place them back to where they were, where they actually were in time. Mm-hmm. I love that you guys like played with the time space continuum. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. one of the things I love about mm-hmm. theater as well. So yeah. is mm-hmm. is is that new too? Is that a new thing that you've heard? Yeah. Yeah, to put it with Pope Fiction. Yeah, because people there have been questions about our transitions and, and, and really a lot with working with the actors is the question is now where are we? And right. what, what like, right. how much time has passed right. since I've last been on right. stage? And so that's exactly but you really yay, you really got a sense of what we were wanting is that that fluidity and some of and yeah. and and for it, there's sometimes some ambigu- ambiguousness in it. Yeah, and it's I I I love stories that strip away the connective tissue between a lot of the scenes that it it does feel like. I think this is where the cinematic quality. I mean, the last show I did was five scenes, so it was very kind of classically Mm -hmm. theatrical, and it was like a unit set. Uh, we have an established, like a long establishing scene. Some people come in, it changes the environment, and then the people leave, and you know, then the show is over. So it felt very kind of. I guess the Aristotelian unities of time yeah. and place, and this one was much more like it's it's not a long play, but there's 24 scenes in it, so it's it's constantly kind of zooming in on little micro details and then pulling out, but not necessarily as you, as you as you 
are saying here. It's not giving you all the connective tissue between them. So I think that engages a, a kind of excitement for the audience in trying to to keep pace. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's it's. I love it when it feels like someone wrote a play from from beginning to end uh, with like a very linear fashion, and then they like I don't know maybe did because I've done this before with plays taken made it into three by five cards and just put it all on the ground <laughs> right. and then like puzzle it all together right and and then I mean I just think that makes it so more exciting right. and dynamic yeah. right. and it, it makes it crackle so can can I tell you how how some of the really early stages of this came about sure was um there's a there's a long improv game known as or exercise as our improv teacher would have preferred us to call it um called this is your life are you familiar with this one i am not no oh it's fan it's fantastic Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But essentially, and the short, short version is, is um, an actor enters the space completely clean-slated. They have no idea who they are. They, and for the entire length of the improv, the story will focus on them. And then actors from the ensemble will enter the space one at a time and establish who they are in relation. So if it's you, I may say, hey, um, Joe. So now you know your name's Joe. Um, so I really need you to get me that report by da-da-da-da-da. And then you're like, okay, so my name's Joe, and I work with her. And these new people come, and your life starts building around you until you have enough concrete pieces that then you build a life. Yeah, and, and I could totally see that in the play. Yeah. yeah, and so that was like the bare minimum. And then um, and then we used the, the freeze exercise as well, you know, just that simple actor one-on-one game where a scene's going and freeze and you go in and change it. That was early games too. Wow. And so that's how we get these different scenes and I think how we never, there was never connective tissue to begin with. Yeah, I mean it began as more of a devised process than me just sitting down and writing something. We we did get a group of actors together back in 2010 or so, (laughs) 2011, and we would... I would put a premise out there into the room and uh, and we would play these improv games and sort of see what emerged from it. So, I mean, there are vestiges of those games in this play. That character, Phyllis, was a very vivid creation from mm-hmm. those improv exercises. I loved Phyllis. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. it's been through a bunch of different names and different <laughs> actors playing that person, but the, the origins of yeah. that character came from uh, a collaborative improvisational yeah. devising uh, exercise that we were doing uh, yeah. with a group of people. It, and it's a great name because if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's like these three lyrical, beautiful names <laughs> and then, and Phyllis. Phyllis, <laughs> yeah. And I love right? that. Yeah. What a funny joke. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. so great. She's such a great character. Your, your whole cast is dynamite. Thank great. you. They Thank really you. are. So you can tell they're, they're really, really, um, uh, they really worked hard, yeah. yeah, and yet it doesn't show. Oh, that's Great. a that, that's that's a really meaningful compliment. Thank you. Oh, it, 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 you're welcome, and they completely deserve it. Yeah. yeah, they're they're feeling very natural in their performances, and it's it's really really difficult when you're whether you're doing a, an actual Greek 
play or even Shakespeare, anything that's that's out of the canon of now, it's it's very difficult, I think, for actors to trust that being natural is okay. They have a tendency to want to get really flowery yeah. with the language. And yeah. I remember uh, interviewing on, on my show uh, an actor named Carly Street. Mm. Um, I'm not I'm the biggest Shakespeare fan. I'm not either. I don't really like it very much. <laughs> You're but, a man after my own heart. Oh my god! High five! <laughs> All right, awesome. And I, and do you love Shakespeare? Too? I do. I I do not necessarily love Shakespeare. Oh, okay, I, okay. I I like directing Shakespeare because I think it's a director's playground, but I. I, I usually avoid attending it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well, my 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 issue with it is is the language. Mm-hmm. It's that I feel like the actor says it. I'm hearing it, and I have to translate it in my head. Yeah. And the best Shakespeare shows are the ones where the actor is translating it for me. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I asked um, Carly Street. She was a, a, a standby for. The ladies who were in Marvin's room over at American Airlines Theater, mm. and um, I said she does a lot of Shakespeare. I'm like, how did how do you fix that? And she said that the best way to do it is to trust the trust the language mm-hmm. that people are going to figure it out and be direct to take all of the the flower the floralness yeah. out of the the right. and just just say it directly. Yeah. yeah, and people will get it. That's a takes a lot of trust on behalf of your actors. Yeah. I feel like that's what your actors are doing here. Although there is a modernization in the language as well. Yeah. Which I appreciate. <laughs> Thank <laughs> yes. you for doing. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and too in the process of that, I I think that you know, if you'd been in the rehearsal room a few weeks ago, some of that flowery stuff would have been there because it's all a process. It's sure. just right that's part of creativity is you throw a bunch of stuff up and you really try and make something work, and that, in fact, and I was—I mean, I was just reminded of this earlier today of how it, how sometimes you have to get rid of some things you love. I, I teach um, creative writing as well, and I tell my students killing babies. Killing your babies. You got to kill killing your, your darlings. Yeah. And I had to kill a baby this morning, and I cried some big alligator tears. He can tell you about it. <laughs> so you, you missed a baby that was killed, but the shield benefited because of it. And um, and it was this very thing you said. It, it because we stripped away, mm-hmm. and then we can hear the story, and then we can connect. Oh yeah, and we can be present with it. The flowery sometimes gets between me, um, the story, and the audience. And if we're not connecting with an audience, I don't know why we're here. Very true. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Is always remembering the audience. Yeah. Um, in in my opinion, and I think you guys are really doing that. Your decisions that you're making are are having connections tough job when you're dealing with um, uh, uh, essentially you called it a, a sequel yeah. to a Greek tragedy, right? Or that Greek, nobody knows. That yeah. nobody knows. <laughs> On top of it. It's the, B, it's the B side of a Greek tragedy. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not in response to Antigone, which we yeah. all did in high school. Right, exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, uh, yeah, as far as killing your babies goes, I always tell everybody, you know, well, when I'm writing something, well, I love it, but I wrote it. Yeah. Right. So you're going right. to have to, I know that feels like a lot of ego, but, yeah. um, you know, I don't say it that way. I'm just saying it like, okay, I, I understand that I wrote it and I might just be the only one who likes it. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us about adjusted realists. 
Sure. Uh, just so, so the relationship with 5090, 59 theaters is interesting because they, they curate their rentals. They're not really involved in the actual producing of the shows. So Adjusted Realists is our company um, that has been invited by 5090, 59 to be here. And uh, I started this, um, I'd had a, a, a theater company in my early years in New York around 2007. It was, uh, you know, I just moved up here, a friend of mine and I, uh, decided we wanted to do our own work, so we kind of, you know, did the whole thing where we raised a few thousand bucks, rented a black box, and just got it out there. Um, uh, so I'm a little further along, kind of in my mm-hmm. in my New York life now. So I, I didn't really have the intentions of starting another theater company, but I had a group of people that I loved working with. Um, and we got together in 2014, and uh, one of my buddies had had wanted to do Nikki Silver's pterodactyls uh, for many years. It had been his dream project. And I was like, sure, let's do it. We're, we're, we're old enough. We understand how to get this stuff done well enough that we can do a, We can do one show. And we had such a good time on that. They were like, let's do another. <laughs> so we didn't, we didn't have a mission or a company or a season or anything like that. We just enjoyed, it was almost more of a, a, a filmic model. We were just like, let's rally around the project and get the project done. And then we'll, wrap that up and see what comes next. Um, but uh, after that, I wrote a, a, an absurdist, um, futuristic comedy called Gluten, with an exclamation point, uh, <laughs> that I pitched to Elizabeth Kleinhands here at 5090-59, and um, she thought it was very weird, but liked it enough to give it a chance. <laughs> and, um, and that sort of reinvigorated our collective at Adjusted Realists. So we did that, and we did a, a, another show called Chickens in the Yard earlier this year. So we've got kind of four under our belt now, and uh, a family of artists with Liz uh, now, and um, about five other folks who help produce and act and direct with all this, all these shows. That um, we feel like we're we're forming a family, and I think in t- New York theater companies, the indie companies that succeed, I think, are the ones where there is that sense of family about it. And you know, yeah. we all understand we have other jobs during the day. Um, we might not be able to operate like a, a an off Broadway nonprofit, but we can have a sort of consistency in our in our kind of love for the theater that once or twice a year we will we will get something on its feet. Um, our aesthetic sort of uh, de facto, just looking back at our shows, has been these kind of slightly adjusted realities. That's where the name of the company comes in. Is is you know I always think about. Um, a movie is a great example of this uh, being John Malkovich, uh, of of, oh, yeah. of of it being played totally straight for like fifteen minutes, and you're you're in a real world and you understand everything, and then John Cusack gets in the elevator and says seven and a half floor, please, or or somebody says where are you heading seven and a half floor, right? And all of a sudden the world is totally wonky because <laughs> it gets off on the seven and a half floor that has a ceiling that's about three feet high and everybody's crouching and you think they play it totally straight. And I was like, that is a realistic movie that has a singular adjustment in it. And I just love that. So all of our plays are, they're not straight, you know, um, straight realism. There's something kind of quirky or off about them, but they use sort of realistic principles, I think, to, to have a familiarity with the audience and not feel like they're too removed. Um, well, you're, you're anchoring it with, uh, universal themes. Yeah. yeah. And I think if yeah. you do that, then you'll, you'll keep the audience for yeah. sure. Yeah. And you'll also, um, you'll also make them think 
Yeah. And I think that that's so important in theater. Um, when you go see a movie, unless it's, you know, a Pulp Fiction or being John Malkovich, typically you're not thinking too much. A lot of it is being spoon-fed to you. Sure. Um, but in theater, I think it's important to engage the audience. Yeah. yeah. And give them a little bit of a puzzle to figure out. And I think if you do that, you're, you're, you've hooked them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's a really, really smart uh, business model. And, yeah. and, well, that would kind of be your mission statement, wouldn't it? I mean, it, I is, know- it, is, it has become the mission, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. As, we, as, we've, as we've looked at what's brought us together for these shows, yeah. there is a through line for sure. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, your uh, feelings about certain topics that we discuss on your program as your ticket as just general theater artists, okay? Of course. Okay. Are there any particular messages and themes uh, that speak strongly to you in the projects you select to write or direct or act in or produce if you wear those hats as well? For me as a storyteller, so mostly I am a director and a puppet maker and storyteller. So those are my main... So I really appreciated what you were just talking about of how important it is to allow an audience space to think and imagine and invite them to engage in the creative process with us. I think that's one of the things we've really lost in American theater is that we treat audiences as witness instead of collaborators Mm. and allowing them space to create with us in the sure. space um, with their imaginations and their energy and their, and their voice, um, you know, through laughter or, or what, and just their breath that they're here. And that's really important to me. So plays that allow for that is, is essential for me. And then I am, I am an advocate. And so um, feminist themes are important to me. Um, domestic violence messages are important to me. Social justice mm-hmm. is really important to me. I think that we, if we are brave, we can show an odd... And, and I don't want to say show, because I've actually started to move away even from that language, but invite the audience to have a conversation about really difficult things. Excellent. That's yeah. a great answer. Steve? Yeah, I, I don't have a specific theme or cause that I pursue. I think, you know, just thinking about the idea of, of timeliness for a second, you know, I think that's a word that we strive to apply to our work. You know, we want something to feel relevant and sure. necessary and to be able to answer the question, why now? Mm-hmm. But I think I don't, I don't head straight toward the cause with that. So, you know, if I'm feeling frustrated about something in politics or something in the world I, I I don't seek out necessarily the play about that what I guess I do is I, I read a lot or I think about stories if I'm writing them where and, and this harkens back to something I've been talking about earlier of just finding something that feels familiar and um, truthful to me mm-hmm. and I think if it is if it goes through that channel and it's something that reaches me in my core then it will inherently have a timeliness to it, you know, that it will mm-hmm. have some, if, if it's, if it touches me in that moment, um, I think, um, it will answer all the questions that I need as far as why are we doing this show today? Um, I think the briefly dead is something that has 
become more timely, right? Yes. When it started in 2000. I mean, we were writing it in a totally different world oh, than completely. we are in right now. And yeah. And I think especially the themes of, uh, of uh, accountability and uh-huh. leadership. And responsibility. And, mm-hmm. um, and the feminist um, themes you've been discussing, Liz, I think are in such a national conversation and a very hard conversation right yeah. now. And I, I, I don't think that's something where I would have, or you would have been like, "Oh, look what we're talking about now. Let's write a play about that." I think we just oh, had yeah. to we just had to be true to our own stories yeah. when it was happening, and, and luckily, um, it has collided with a a time when it it really resonates. Yeah. So. And the thing I love about with the briefly dead is that we don't have a Trump esque king at all. Like right. the, the king is, is is very much different, but we have a similarity in a king in a leader who isn't taking responsibility. Yes. And is shirking responsibility and that there are consequences for that. Oh, yeah. And it affects multiple people. And so I think it's important to see that we have, um, you know, Trump and all that means, but here we have somebody who's doing it out of love and doing it like all the best intentions. Right. And if we're still not taking responsibility, even out of best intentions, there are real consequences for that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I think that that's, I think that's interesting as well. Oh yeah! yeah. I, I, by, by the way, picked up on all of that. Yay. Good. Yeah, and not Great. and and you didn't hit me over the head with it. <laughs> I was just like, okay, yeah, that's that's occurring. And and also, just so you know, there's been a couple of people who have answered that question and have said, yeah, we started writing the this show or this play five years ago, and all of a sudden, boom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things that are yeah. were occurring in the play are actually occurring right in the world, yeah. and right. um, which. Is, is great. I mean, it means yeah. that you're really thinking not so much about uh, what is, but what could be, yeah. right? what could happen. And I right. think that as, as writers and directors, our mind always has to be a little bit in the future yeah. Yeah. and a little bit, um, uh, we always have to be a little bit of dreamers. Oh, yes. And, and, and projectors. And prophets, yeah. exactly. I was, I I was going to say projectors, but prophets is such a better <laughs> word. Thank you. Thank you. Prophets has a, a, a great yeah. <laughs> And I think for me as an artist where some of that can come from is that a lot of my inspiration for the theater that I'm creating isn't found in the theater. And what I mean by that is... Um, all the, there's like I'm obsessed with Brene Brown. She's she's revolutionized my life, and she, you know, and, she, and her work is about being vulnerable and being um, a wholehearted person in the world, and looking at even the poet David White and and different people such as that are are making me a better artist. Wow. And so I think for me, it's it's really looking outside of even our own community, our own theater community, to see what the rest of the world has to teach us mm-hmm. about what it means to be a human and to connect to other humans and to be storytellers. That Those things are really... And I think that that helps with this that you're talking about. Excellent. Um, what do you, too, think is an important direction that theater is taking overall? Mm. right now from from your experience and your observation yeah i so i have i have one foot in this indie world but i also um work on a broadway show i've been working on charlie and the chocolate factory i'm so glad you brought it up i'm okay can i fangirl just a minute oh please (laughs) i'm a huge fan okay yeah it's my favorite book 
Uh, I love both of the movies. I, I, it's like they come on. I can't not watch them. Uh, I saw the production in London, which wow. I loved, and Fantastic. I saw the production here, which I loved even more. Great. Oh. So I just okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, so, just, I, I just think it's it's so great. Anyways, oh, so thank you. I mean, we we love it too. Thank and, you. Uh, we you know it, I, I I just. The, the fact that, that nothing could be more the opposite of the briefly dead than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> sure, right. So I, I, I think it's, it's, it's been very bracing for me to have a foot in two very different aspects of New York theater, but to be able to kind of observe in each wing, you know, as you're, you know, what, what direction is theater taking? And, and then just thinking about that commercial arena, I, I, one of our big um, models for this show but that we did, had no idea existed until very recently when it was on Broadway was uh, A Doll's House Part 2. Yeah. Uh, which, totally. Which was, yeah. I, yeah. I could not tell you how excited I was when I saw that um, uh, up on the marquee for the first time because it was like a sequel to a classic. <laughs> I love that play, by the way. Oh, it's so good. It's oh so God, good. It's so we, good. Liz yeah. and I saw it together and it was like, this is this is our hook. You know, yeah. I mean, people don't know Alcestis like they know A Doll's House, but it's still showing that there's a... a, a, a someone in the commercial theater that is willing to tell a story that is is as is seemingly niche but once you go in and you and you sit down and you watch the show you're like this is universal this is yeah. an incredible totally. play that's got incredible um impact for anybody who comes and sees it um so th- I, that that's very refreshing to me. I think there's some really exciting stuff um, uh, in all levels of theater uh, and producers who are willing to invest. I think it started, you know, a lot with Hamilton uh, and continuing through Natasha and the Great Comet. Um, I'm even excited to see SpongeBob uh, next week because <laughs> I've heard, you know, that's a that's a show that seems like a sort of safe commercial vehicle, but I've heard just visionary things about it oh, yeah. and um, the, the the way that all the music was written by uh, specifically for that show by legendary artists and um you know i'm just i'm just so excited by the fact that there is risk happening on all levels of theater there's always a risk in the independent theater but we are playing with less money than than those big guys are yeah. and i think it's 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 sneaking into uh into the the commercial world as well yeah I saw SpongeBob. It's so good. Oh, I can't that? wait. Yes, I yes, it's so inventive and and super fun and yeah. uh, a, an astonishing performance by the lead actor. Yes, he is, Ethan he is, Slater. He, Ethan right? Slater. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I don't. He what he did up there would put me in traction for six months. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I I interrupted you. No, you I'm say? good. Well, in in on a um, in a different lane with this question is. Uh, I thought about signature theater. I love signature theater as well. And I love, I think they do really interesting programming there. Signature in New York. Yes. Okay. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. That's okay. But, and, and more specifically that they, that they're modeled the $25 ticket for the first four weeks of a show so that it makes theater accessible. I think that's the other thing that's really important oh. is that people can afford to see it. Very popular answer on this question, by the is way. Is it? Yes. Because I think that I think that that's I think it's re- and and high quality theater. Sure. Too is because you know sometimes it's a you know you don't always know what you're getting and and there's a lot of different qualities out there and and so to know that that that's usually a theater that I've been happy. Well, then they do interesting, and they do interesting things. Like, and I think that the um, Annie Baker Sam Gold combination is a mm-hmm. is a beautiful. Like, John blew my mind that play. What they did with silence, 
mm-hmm. just like changed me as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the things that I say about her is that she creates a psychology within the audience. Yes, know? she does. Because it's like a character will say, and I didn't, I didn't see John, but I did see the flick, and I loved it. And a character will say a line, and then the other character pauses for a long time. So what she's doing is making the audience member conjure that line in their head. <laughs> yeah. And so you're almost like playing this ping pong yeah. game of being a writer. Yeah. And I, I thought that is really yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, one of my formative experiences was, was seeing Annie Baker, Sam Gold with uh, the aliens at Rattlestick. Uh, probably, gosh, I don't know how many years ago that was. That was at the very you know beginnings of their collaboration. And again, it was a play you could probably read in twenty minutes, but it lasted two hours, and everything was so richly conceived. Every silence, yeah. and uh, that that totally blew my mind. I, yeah, I, um, I occasionally teach uh, a Chekhov scene study at a, at. Brooklyn College, where Liz and I both went to uh, to, to grad school, and you know you, you know you know everything about the Chekhov pause and the sort of the origins of silence in that world, and yeah. you know being able to teach the art of a silence, um, and then seeing it rot so incredibly in, uh, yeah. in Annie Baker's world is uh, it's a sight to behold. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. It's, it's there's a lot to be taken for granted. Yeah, yeah. in her writing. Yeah. yeah, and that to me is sublime writing. It's sublime. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, what do you think is the best part of being involved with uh, smaller, more intimate theatrical productions? I think because um, I'm I'm creating and working in a model that I call communal theater that is focused on some of these things we've been talking about of, of audience focused mm-hmm. um, and treating the audience as a as a collaborator instead of a witness that that I can do that in a smaller space. Right. As far as training, because it's a new, it, that's a new experience for an audience member, and it's a new experience for um, performers to really understand how to engage each other in that way. And I think a smaller setting allows, and an intimate setting allows us to practice at that, a practice at uh, coexisting in creation. Right. And that is that I, I appreciate as a as an artist um, as a storyteller the fact that I can that a smaller house is usually more willing to let me do some really talk about really uncomfortable things okay. than somebody where um, you know there's more on the line I think they that there can be and I mean we can point to cases where this isn't true yeah but that it tends to be more safe than than risky with with topics okay. and a larger Excellent. Setting. Steve? Yeah, I, I really appreciate how, how much easier it is to change something in an independent theater <laughs> than you can um, in a Broadway production. And there's a whole bureaucracy in Broadway if you've got you know, a, a, a moment that needs a slight adjustment or a line that needs rewriting where you've got to go through so many different channels to make that happen. Uh, even you know giving notes um, uh, to actors is a sort of process uh, once you get to that to that world. And here, because there's I think fewer people involved, and it's a it's less um, it's less of a sort of gargantuan machine that if you mm-hmm. if if we change something, it doesn't throw 150 people completely out of whack. Right. Yeah. Uh, that you know I think we can come in and, and implement things and have a very kind of immediate. Mm-hmm collaborative um, input into our work. Yeah. Uh, And if we were, if if this were reliant on, on 
many more people to make it happen. We can't really have that impulse and make it happen right away. It's yeah. gonna it's gonna slow down in the uh, in the bureaucracy of it. So I think that's one of the great things about being in an independent setting. Yeah. And what an interesting you know dichotomy for you to be in. Um, it, it, that is actually another. You guys are so popular with your answers today. It's great. <laughs> um, uh, popular answer. It's, it's like there's too much decision by committee yeah. when you get to, to the bigger shows, yeah. like the Broadway shows or touring productions, um, things like that. Uh, I I actually have a special question that comes from my writers group. Every two weeks, I go to a writers group called Seventy Second Street Gang Writers Group. We we. Converge in uh, at a Ripley Greer studio. Oh yeah, small, uh-huh. small. Yeah. Like, and, yeah, and I was telling them that I was I, I was interviewing you guys today, and they wanted to. I told them that you were the resident director of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and they wanted to know what a resident director of an ongoing show does. Question. Great question. Yeah, I'm happy to put in a plug for resident directors everywhere. Here Excellent. we go. <laughs> Please, it do. is. It is. It's. It's great that you asked because it is not a position that is has uh, been in the American theater model for very long. It's more of a British thing. Um, I traditionally we trust over here that once a long running show opens, that it goes completely to the stage management department to maintain the show. Uh, but there is a tradition in British theater that um, the the director kind of leaves a person behind on, from his staff as well to be the sort of guardian of the artistic interests of the show. Oh. So I, I, I'm sort of at the halfway point between a stage manager and a director and that my closest collaborator on, um, on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the amazing, amazing production stage manager, Michael Pissarro. Um, and he and I work really closely to make sure that the spirit of the show and then the technicalities of the show are, I don't want to say the same that they were on opening night, because when you have a, a sort of comic vehicle like this, there is going to be things that change and, um, you know, Christian Borrell will want to, want to play around with some new things here and there. Uh, but we want to make sure that the spirit of it is what um, the director, Jack O'Brien, intended when we, when we opened it uh, back in April. Um, so it is a sort of, it's, it's a subtle position, you know, it's not something where you want to get too in, in people's faces. Um, you know, most actors when they're eight months into a run don't want to be receiving a bunch of notes every day. Yeah. So, <laughs> so sometimes my job is to make myself scarce and just trust that, you know, maybe I'll see something that's like, oh, that wasn't what it was last night, but these are professionals and they know how to maintain something themselves. So clearly they're trying it and it'll, it'll revert back to normal the next day. Or, um, or, or it's a great idea and it'll propel something new in the show. Um, so, yeah, I, I work a lot uh, to maintain. And we have three wonderful uh, boys who play Charlie in the show. And they rotate and they, you know, they haven't been acting a lot uh, or for long in their lives. So, so there's, there's some kind of acting training that goes on there, too, in the art of, uh, the art of um, sustaining discovery. You know, Charlie is all about the wonder of this world. And uh, you can't let that start to feel... Mm boring or routine so how can a, a kid who hasn't done a ton of acting in his life um, maintain a sense of discovery for a hundred some odd shows however many they will have done when we uh, when we wrap up in January uh, yeah there's a rewinding that has to go yeah go on in between each show yeah of back to the beginning yeah that more um, uh, older adult actors they're used to that exercise mm-hmm. yeah they can mentally do that so that's that's got to be that's got to be something that you manage 
I heard an anecdote once from um, Austin Pendleton, who's another director I worked with um, as an assistant on a production of Three Sisters at Classic Stage Company several years ago. He's a fabulous director. Oh, he's incredible. Yeah. And one of my, you know, just uh, in terms of forming my voice as a director in the room and how to work with actors, it was an indispensable experience. And uh, he told us an anecdote, and I hope I'm not butchering it, um, <laughs> with the with, uh, distance of time about... Uh, watching Vanessa Redgrave in a long-running show one time, and I think he came to watch her on a Tuesday night well into the performance, and he thought it was one of the most dazzling things he'd ever seen, and he went up to her afterwards and was like, what are you doing? Like, this is incredible. She's like, oh, it's, it's Tuesday, so that means I forgot all the discoveries I made the prior week, and I started from scratch, and I just played my objectives. Oh and it was just wow. uh, like kind of mind blowing. It's like I think I think the hard thing is as you accumulate discoveries, mm-hmm. you start to get further and further away from the purity you yeah. had at the beginning. So right. learning how to get rid of the good stuff is almost as important as finding the good stuff yeah. in the first place. It's yeah. back to yeah. like killing babies. Killing babies. Yeah, yeah. actors oh. have to kill their babies <laughs> too. too. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is all just metaphorical. <laughs> <laughs> We're not actually killing babies. This is part of the explicit <laughs> right. on this podcast. Is, uh, is and there are no, no killing babies <laughs> yeah. in the show. Just yeah. so, just we don't support infant sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what should every theatrical artist, writer, director, actor, technician be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? Tell the truth. Okay. Don't wait around. I think, uh, I think if you've got a craft, do it. I think, mm-hmm. I think there's enough of an infrastructure in the community um, that you do not have to wait for an opportunity to be given to you. This is one of the first things I learned up in, up in New York uh, when I tried acting for six months right after, right after I moved up here. And I was like, well, I'm not getting any calls. I'm not getting tasks. <laughs> Which is why I met up with one of my friends and we started our own company. And, yeah. um, and you know, you, you, if you want to do something, you can. You just have to find the family that mm. will enable that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and take responsibility for it. Yeah. Oh, Don't yeah. just wait for somebody to hand it to you because right. you're putting yourself in a, in a group with with terrible odds. Yeah. And if you take responsibility, I've, I've found that as, as a writer, you also feel a lot more in control. Yeah. It's not just, oh, I submitted that and I hope everything works out okay. Start working on another project. Yeah. yeah. You know, get involved with something else. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think those are outstanding answers. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think, I just think it's a different time than, um, we, one of our professors from Brooklyn College you know, would talk about you know, the old days when, you know, we'd go up, we'd go up upstate for the week and we came back and we founded Manhattan Theater Club, you know, and you're like, <laughs> wow, that seemed easy. Right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, there, there's the whole cliche of being an actor in New York or, or being, or wanting to be a star moving to LA or New York and hoping that you get discovered. And I don't think you can wait to be discovered anymore. I think yeah. you've got to, you've got to, you've got to, uh, 
facilitate that discovery yeah. and, and hand it to people yeah. directly. And it, interesting, I thought about our other directing professor at Brooklyn College, Mary Robinson, who wrote the book Directing Plays Directing People, and that it, it is about people. And, I ha- and sometimes I have to remind myself about that too, at the end of the day, that this is about investing in people and working with great collaborators. I have a policy. I only work with delightful people. I don't care how talented you are. We're going to spend so much time together in the room that I want to invest in you. And I want to know that you're somebody I want to be in the room with for that amount of time. Because all of the work I've gotten in this city is because of who I knew. And because I put the time in to build those relationships. So it isn't just about knowing people. It's about cultivating and sustaining those relationships. Oh, yeah. I think uh, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but I was listening to, I think it was Emmy Rossum. Uh, No, no, no. It was Lily uh, Collins, Phil Collins' daughter, who is an an, an actor now. And she said that um, luck... Looks may get you to the door, yeah. um, but talent might open the door. But it's an it's attitude, so and much. that keeps so you much. in the room. Yeah. and work habits and work ethic. And I yeah. think so many people forget yeah. that. Yeah, you know, back and to the room. Exactly. Have yeah. a good attitude. Show up on time. Yeah. Know your stuff. Be prepared. Yeah. Yes. And I've I've always said that if you do that, I mean if. With actors, if you know all of your lines, you're already in the top five percent <laughs> of what they want. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's great. Those are wonderful answers. Um, now, tell us what you guys are working on together and independently. That's in the future that you haven't already mentioned. Mm. Anything you want to talk about? I mean, if you can't talk about it, I understand. <laughs> There's a lot of people who, who have that same look, like. Oh, I would love to talk about this, but we really... Or they'll talk about it, and then the next day they're like, oh, yeah. we need to take that out, because I totally forgot. So. Yeah, I, I I, mean, I feel like I'm in a pretty fresh place. I, don't, I, I um, do not have anything in the can at the moment, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm talking, you know, with some of my... Uh, I, I'm eager to direct again. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Charlie will be closing in January, which will free up some time for me to direct my own stuff again. But it makes me sad. It makes it us all sad. So it makes us all sad. But it will live on. It, it will tour oh, uh, the country starting in September. Oh, we have Australian God. tours, UK tours. This is a show that is going to come into well. its own on the road. So oh, we're, sure. we're so excited about that. That's but terrific. I'm, I, I'm, I'm personally excited to have some more time to, um, to work with my team at Adjusted Realists and come up with a project that I can now direct um, as my next contribution there. I don't know what that is yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm not being cagey about it. I think we, after this, we just want to sit down and see, you know, what, what feels right for our group. Uh, yeah. And for me, um, I'm really feeling an itch to develop a, a, another puppet piece. There's a little bit of puppetry in this. Um, and to develop more, there's a play that I've been working on for a couple years that I think I want to really start leaning into more as a as a playwright and um and then go, harkening back to the communal theater of this way of um creating a communal experience in the theater it, part of it is working with actors on how to be vulnerable in the space and so I teach workshops on that and Excellent. so developing those more and so I think those are you know in the next few months is where my focus is going to be as an artist 
trust me that after this closes, like within days, I have a feeling both of you will be besieged with <laughs> and offers. I mean, I just, yeah. that's just how it works. It's, like, which, it's just like leapfrogs. I know. Yeah. 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 Isn't it funny how it just evolves and one thing builds yeah. on, 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 on another? Yeah. Um, okay, before I let you go and have you give your social media information, do you want to do a speed round with me? Let's oh, do sure. a speed round. Okay, okay, okay speed round. Okay. We're slow thinkers, but we'll do our best. You kind of got tipped off with the questions, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, what's your favorite play? Oh, I love Long Day's Journey and Tonight. I okay. love it. Steve, favorite play? Weird answer. Title Indeed by Will Eno. Oh, my gosh, that was beautiful. Okay, uh, favorite musical? Oh, Les Mis. I'm a Les Mis kid. It's what brought me into theater. Okay. So, solid. And I know yours is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but what is your second favorite musical? <laughs> Thank you for covering me there. You're my welcome. second favorite musical is um, Evita. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, another one that I just, because that was a formative musical for me yeah. when I was little. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's very close to me, and I was I worked on the production up here a few years yeah. ago. Uh, my husband would approve. He, yeah. loved, he loves that musical. Yeah. Um, favorite writer? I, I mean, I know we just talked about Andy. Besides the two of you. Bes- oh, obviously. Uh, okay, right. besides um, yeah. I think right now, I mean, if I see Annie Baker on anything, I'm interested. Okay. So I think right now, she's who I, is one who I'm interested in. Okay, cool. Yeah, I already said Will Eno, and that's probably who I would say again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Rule is also oh, a, an incredible model for me in, uh, in terms of how she can uh, yeah. balance the sort of real with the, with the lyrical. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Uh, favorite director? Oh, oh, I love David Cromer and I love Lee Silverman. I love both of them. Oh, I love David Cromer. The band's visit is so good. <laughs> the our town, his our town down. And his our town. Oh my god! It like it, like it, it ripped my my heart open. I. Uh, Brilliant. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, Again, well, this, this is where my husband will agree with you. Okay. He has this this ability to just boil everything <sighs> down to like the and <sighs> pick the the like. Hundred best moments to feature that in the show. Yes. Anyways, really I'm sorry. I, I again, I told I fangirl really easy. So. <laughs> I I have such a mad creative crush on David Cromer. I can't even stand it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Liz is stealing my answers. David Cromer. Oh yeah. yeah he's, I'm gonna make a, a prediction that he's gonna win the Tony for Band. I cannot wait to see it. I'm it, sure I'm too yeah. late to get a cheap ticket. He's great. Sure. From from Chicago. Awesome. Yeah. And do you have mentors? Do either of you have a mentor? Oh, I have so many. Yeah, I think the the directors I've worked with um, as an assistant or an associate, uh, Austin Pendleton, uh, Jack O'Brien for sure, uh, uh, now on Charlie, and uh, I learned a ton from Michael Grandage on Evita. I think those have all been really great. And our professors, Mary Robinson and Tom Bullard from yeah. uh, Brooklyn College, Rose Bonsek from Brooklyn College, they just seem incredible, incredible. Mary Faculty. Beth Easley. Mary Beth Easley, Judy Lee Vivier. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Brooklyn College was really great in that way. It this is our buzz marketing for Brooklyn College. Brooklyn College. Yeah. <laughs> Props to Brooklyn best, College. I call it the best deal in New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have, a, they have a solid community and really great professors that just continue. I mean, we're out. We're by how. Rep. We've been out for six years, and, and I think probably 80% of our staff on the Briefly Dead is a Brooklyn College alum. Yeah, and yeah. I have been in contact with most, of the, with most of those in the last few weeks, even being like, what do I do now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's excellent. That's very cool. Uh, please give our audience your social media information. It can be your own 
websites or for adjusted realists or whatever you want to do. Brooklyn College, if you want. <laughs> no, that's enough about Brooklyn College. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Back more. to us. Yeah. Um, so uh, elizabethosler.com is my website. And then um, Liz Osler. So at Liz Osler is Instagram. Oh, do Instagram. And I did a whole director's log on this on my creative process. On Instagram. It's fun. Check that out. At Liz Osler. My picture is going to be on there. (laughs) 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 Okay, Steve? Uh, StephenKaliski.com. That's with a P-H. And AdjustedRealist.com for our company website. And then I can be found, and the company can be found on uh, Twitter, Instagram. That's at S-T Kaliski and at AdjustedRealists. Very cool. Oh my gosh. You guys were amazing. Thank, Thank you. you so Summer, much. This was a blast. Oh, good. Such a delight. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Did you have fun? We had an amazing Great. time. Okay, we, love yeah. to get, we love to get on our soapbox about any, oh, any of this stuff. Oh, we do. Yeah, so thank you for, would... thank you for sh- listening and for uh, uh, sending our, our philosophy out to the world. Exactly. <laughs> I love hearing theater philosophy and, and theory. I just think it's, it's, you know, I'm like you guys. I eat, sleep, and breathe it. So yeah. it's, it's really important. I would love to interview... Um, uh, adjusted realist, I would love that. Yes, yeah, anytime. Yeah, yeah, well, please. I've done group interviews before. Oh so. yeah, we would love to sit down. Very, very cool. Well, again, thank you for being on your program as your ticket. You're amazing. Thank you thank so you. much. Oh, it was great being here. My pleasure. Keep up the great work. You guys are awesome. Okay, at the end of each show, I like to give shout outs to Current Productions worth a recommendation. On tonight's episode, I'm kind of recommending a bit of a slam dunk. It's second stage's production of Torch Song, which is a revival of Harvey Furstein's classic masterpiece Torch Song trilogy. He's condensed it into two acts, combining the first two plays, which are called International Stud and Fugina Nursery, into one act, which is Act One, and presenting the third play, which is called Widows and Children First, independently as Act Two. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the piece, here's a description of the current production taken from Second Stage's website. Website, excuse me. It's 1979 in New York City, and Arnold Beckoff is on a quest for love, purpose, and family. He's fierce in drag and fearless in crisis, and he won't stop until he achieves the life he desires. Now, Arnold is back, and he's here to sing you a torch song. The Tony Award winning play that forever changed the trajectory of Broadway returns for a new generation. Now, I actually saw the original production of Torch Song Trilogy because I'm that old. Back in 1982, I was in high school. It was my high school drama trip. So, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm like leveling that out there. So, um, But anyways, it was with uh, Mr. Fierstein playing Arnold Beckoff incredibly well. Um, it instantly became and remains my favorite play. It's beautifully written, powerful, empowering, and hilarious. Now, this particular production is directed by the legendary Moises Kaufman and stars, among other incredible talents, Michael Urie, who is fast becoming one of the theater world's strong, strongest talents. It's a huge role. It's a monster role. It's big. And Mr. Urie plays it with such strength and vulnerability. Uh, but the show's secret weapon is definitely Mercedes Rule, who plays Ma Beckoff. I've never been a huge Mercedes Rule fan. Um, I have not. I, I like her. I think she's great. But in this... Uh, she is incredible. She plays uh, Ma Beckoff, Beckoff, Arnold's highly conflicted, screamingly funny mother. Now, if you want to see why an Academy Award-winning actor is an Academy Award-winning actor, Mm -hmm. go see this show. She comes on about one-third of the way through Act 2 and absolutely walks away with the whole piece. Now, that's no easy feat with this cast. Now, in the original 1982 production, I had the pleasure of seeing Estelle Getty in the role, 
and she was terrific as well. She brought a lot of what she did with her Ma Beckoff to Golden Girls. As you know, or most people know, she, because it's on all the time on TV, she played Sophia in the Golden Girls, and we know how well that worked out for her. Now, Ms. Rule brings an, us an entirely new Ma Beckoff, one that is completely believable and absolutely endeared to the audience. Now, when I saw the show in 1982, her dialogue seemed to make more sense in an albeit twisted manner with the level of tolerance of the world then. Does that make sense, you guys? That's what I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, like she says horrible things, but the norms of... Back then, uh-huh. I think people would be like, oh, okay, that's just funny. And, and now I think we would be like, okay, that's horrifying what okay. she says. Right, yes. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Thank you very much for validating that. I appreciate it. <laughs> I need so much. I'm so insecure. Now, uh, some of these lines seem like absolutely unacceptable statements, yet in her finessed hands, they are delivered with deep reserves of compassion layered under the brittle words. It's absolutely masterful. If you can get a ticket, go see it. Again, it's playing here at, at uh, in New York City at the Tony Kaiser Theater at Second Stage. You can visit um, 2st.com. That's 2st.com, like second stage, uh, for tickets and information. So anyways, go. It's, it's terrific, and it's a classic play, too. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guests, the sensational Stephen Kaliski and Elizabeth Osler. Steve, Liz, you were great. So great. Wonderful. Great job. Thank you. Um, thank you. My pleasure. You can find more, more episodes of your program as your ticket at facebook.com backslash your program as your ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at, at program ticket. The website is your program is your ticket.com. And I'm on iTunes and SoundCloud. Rate me. Write me a Reviews, subscribe, all that stuff helps to up my profile. So here you go. Look, take a little time to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's lots of theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people, and Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.